So let's turn to Acts chapter 8. That's where we're going to be tonight. And um, an example of faithfulness is, is the title of the message. And we're going to be looking at uh, Philip. But before we get that, to that, I have a few introductory remarks, and then we'll begin by looking in the first four verses of Acts chapter 8. Uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, Paul says this. Paul says, Let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. And so there Paul um, is recognizing his responsibility as a steward of the mysteries of God, to be found faithful, to be faithful with what God had given to him. And, and I think that applies to all of us as believers. We've been given um, the knowledge of this beautiful relationship with Christ. And we've been given um, the privilege to not only know him, but to serve him. And as a part of that, we're called to be a steward and to faithfully carry out what God has given to us to carry out. And as I mentioned tonight, we're going to consider the example of Philip's faithfulness. You know, I love the book of Acts, and I think it is really a great picture of the body of Christ. Um, because, you know, the Holy Spirit led Luke when he recorded the history to not only highlight, and of course, two of the main characters of the book of Acts would be Peter and Paul, and how the Lord worked through them in establishing the church and the gospel spreading. But they weren't the only ones that the Holy Spirit talked about. I mean, of course, you know, there's Barnabas is mentioned in here. Silas is mentioned in the book of Acts. Um, and then tonight we're going to look, of course, at, at Philip. Uh, the preceding chapter to this, we, we learned a lot about Stephen and, and how he was an example of faithfulness and how God used him. And so there's many people and different people, uh, people who had different ministry responsibilities and different callings on their life that the book of Acts talks about. And as I said tonight, though, we're going to zero in on, on Philip. Um, and as we do that, we're going to see some things to be avoided as well as we go through this chapter on being faithful. Uh, being faithful to what God calls us to do is the key to being successful as believers. I believe that. True success in the eyes of God is being faithful. You know, it's not how the world describes success. It's not in the numbers or the visible things that maybe the world wants to attribute as success. It is being faithful to what God has called you to do. The calling God has for each of us is different. And that's why I mentioned, you know, in the beginning there, how in the book of Acts, we see different responsibilities and callings as you look at the different people that uh, Luke talks about in the book of Acts. We are not all called to do the same things. But I believe we are all called to be faithful. And again, that's why I quoted there from 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. And so let's begin tonight by looking at the first four verses of Acts 8 to see the setting in which God begins to use Philip. In verse 1, it says, Now Saul was consenting to his death, speaking of Stephen, at the time a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere, preaching the word. And so we see here in verse 1 of chapter 8, 
And the Holy Spirit had been working through the church here up, up until this point in Acts. The Holy Spirit had been doing many mighty works through the apostles and through the people in the church. And thousands had come to faith up until this point at the church in Jerusalem. God was moving and lives were being changed. And now Satan, but Satan now begins to try to ramp up the persecution and the opposition. Um, it, this is not the first time that opposition had come, but it's certainly an increase in the opposition. And what we see here, though, is that God turned it against him to accomplish his will. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, um, we kind of have a little bit of an outline of the book of Acts. And it's, a part, it's the Great Commission reiterated. It says, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so in Acts chapter 8, what we're going to be seeing is them taking the gospel to Samaria. It's kind of the next step in the advance of the gospel going out from Jerusalem and Judea. Jesus had told them not to stay in Jerusalem, right? There, Acts chapter 1-8, but to take the gospel to Judea, Samaria, and then to the whole world. But up in this, to this point, they remained here in Jerusalem, and that's where the church was at. And we see here, though, that God allowed the enemy to bring persecution to accomplish uh, his will, God's will through the church. The persecution got them moving out of Jerusalem and out to the places that the Lord wanted them to go. And, you know, from a human perspective, and I'm sure probably crossed many of their minds that looked at this point that the enemy was winning the day. I mean, Stephen, who is, again, his martyrdom is recorded in chapter 7, was a faithful minister of, of the word of God and had proclaimed the truth and they stoned him, they killed him. And now we see here in the beginning of chapter 8, the pressure start to ramp up on the church. And so there may have been the thought, man, the enemy is winning the day, but this was not true, and nor will it ever be, right? Because Jesus said in Matthew 16, 18, he said this, I also say to you, to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hate shall not prevail against it. And so that is God's promise. Jesus has promised that the enemy would not prevail against the church. And so while things were looking bad and the pressure was ramping up, God was going to turn it against him. And I think, you know, it's beautiful just to see here, only God can take what the enemy means for evil and turn it around and use it for good. And that is the power that God has. And we need to remember when trouble and persecution come, and they were being reminded of this, is that Jesus has already won the victory. The victory is already his, and he will continue to build the church. He's not going to fail to do that. So in verse 2, uh, before moving on from, uh, from Stephen, Luke um, mentions something I think that's very important. You know, he says there in verse 2, And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. We're given here one last mention of Stephen. And I love what, um, what Luke says. He talks about the fact that there was great lamentation made over him. And so Stephen was a faithful servant of God, and he had served others as a deacon in the church. And we'll talk about that in just a little minute, in just a minute as we look at Philip, because Philip was also a deacon. And, but yet we're told here there was great lamentation. And I, I think that's a good example for us as we begin to look at Philip and the point of being faithful is that we should live our lives in a way 
that we will be missed when we're gone. I mean, I think that's what we see here about, about Stephen. They were lamenting over him because he had been faithful to what God had called him to do. So there was great sadness that he was gone. And, you know, if we live our lives and are faithful to the Lord, then the same will be of us, said of us. We're going to be missed when we're gone because we were faithful to serve and to do what God had called us to do. And so we have that example there of, of Stephen, just briefly there in verse 2. Then in verse 3, we see a, a little bit, Luke gives us a description of the severity of the persecution. Uh, Saul is again mentioned, as he was in chapter 7, who, as we know, later on here in the book of Acts, becomes Paul, as converted. But he now, at this point in history, is one of the leading persecutors of the church, and this verse gives us some detail into the level of the persecution that is mentioned here. And it says in verse 2 that he made havoc. And that word havoc means to cause harm to, injure, damage, spoil, ruin, destroy. And so um, a lot of harm was happening to the church. And we're told that he was dragging off men and women and he was committing them to prison. And so he was doing a lot of harm. And there, again, there's this great pressure that was coming upon them. One commentator notes of that word there, havoc, that it's an ancient Greek word that could refer to an army destroying a city or a wild animal tearing at its meat. And so this is a very descriptive word that Luke's using to describe just the intensity of the pressure, the persecution that was going on at the time. In verse 4, though, we see that they were scattered to proclaim. And it says there that those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. The believers, because of the persecution, are now going out of Jerusalem. And it says everywhere they went, they preached the word. And that phrase there, preached the word, one commentator says this. The statement they preached the word is, is misleading. The Greek expression does not necessarily mean uh, more than shared the good news. And so in other words, they were just going and sharing the good news. Um, it, they weren't all necessarily preachers or apostles or anything like that, but they were just going where they were moving away from the persecution. And as they went, they were sharing the good news about Christ with those they came across. And, you know, we, I want us to just pause and think there for a moment. Again, we described and saw just how severe the persecution was. And so they're being pushed out because of that. And yet, that didn't stop them from sharing the good news with those they came across. The pressure was intense, but they continued to share the good news despite the trouble they were facing. And the reason they were able to do that, I believe, is because they were filled with the Holy Spirit the Holy Spirit gave them the boldness to still go and declare the good news despite the persecution that they were trying to escape from. And so as we see here, Satan had sought to silence the church by persecuting it. But, the, the, but just the opposite happened. More people heard the gospel as a result of the pressure that the enemy was putting. More were being exposed to who Jesus is and what he had done. And so that brings us to this first section about Philip here in verses uh, 5 through 8. Let me just read those. It says, Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. And the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits crying with a loud voice came out of many who were possessed, and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. 
and there was great joy in that city. And so we see here in this section that Christ is preached to the Samaritans by Philip. So who was Philip? And I just want to take a moment. Let's turn back to Acts chapter 6. Um, and I'm just going to read verses 1 through 5, the first half of verse 5. And this is where Philip is first mentioned, as is Stephen. It says, Now in those days when the number of the disciples were multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews about the Hellenists, because their widows were neglected in this daily distribution. Then the twelve summoned the multitude of disciples and said, It is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And, they, and the same pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, and Philip. And so we see here, I think, some important things about Philip as we begin to look at him here in chapter 8. Uh, Luke gives us some insight. So there was this need going on in the early church, right? Uh, the Hellenist Jews, or those of Greek background, were being neglected. The widows were being neglected in the, in the distribution of, need, of their needs being met. And so this complaint came, and the apostles were like, well, we cannot be distracted by this. We got to stay focused on the word of God and on prayer. And so they gave a description of the kind of men to look for. And the first thing it tells us there in verse 3 is that they are to be men of good reputation. And that word reputation means to be well spoken of. And so they were going to look for men who are well spoken of. And so to be well spoken of, I think a person would have to have had been a faithful person, faithful to their word, faithful to be doing what they said they would do. And so I believe even before we see the faithfulness of Philip in chapter 8, and even before he was chosen to be a deacon and care for the needs of the widows, he was already being faithful. Because I, I, don't, I can't imagine somebody being well-spoken of who was not faithful to what they said they would do and not faithful in what the responsibilities that they had. The second thing we see about Philip and about these men that were chosen is that they were full of the Holy Spirit, and so that was another thing that they said, look for men that are full of the Holy Spirit. And it's like, what well, they're going to be waiting on tables, right? They're going to be caring for doing practical things, meeting widows' needs. Why does that matter? Well, <laughs> it matters because anything that's touched in the kingdom of God needs to have the power of the Spirit of God as a part of it. It doesn't need human effort. It needs, we need to be full of the Holy Spirit. And so these men were full of the Holy Spirit. And it says also that they should be full of wisdom. And so again, wisdom, they were guided by God. They were men who sought God and men who looked to God and God would get granted them wisdom. And so this was who Philip was. And as a result, he was chosen to help care for the widows, to help meet that need. And I love just to want to point out here, you know, is, is that Philip was not an apostle. Right? He wasn't one of those that the Lord had chosen to be the witness and testifier of, of Jesus' life and death and resurrection, one who had been called to establish the church, be one of those foundations of the church. He was just a faithful servant that God was going to use, and we, we're going to see that here in just a minute. And yet, <clears throat> he, he was called to serve and to minister to the needs of, of, of the widows, to meet the need that was there. 
And he carried out this responsibility until the persecution in chapter 8 scattered the church. And so we're picking that up here in chapter 8. As he goes down to Samaria, up until that point, he had faithfully carried out the responsibility of seeing to the needs of the widows. But as the church was scattered, that need was no longer there. And so the Lord was now going to send Philip to do something else. And so with this big change um, that was going on in the church, um, you know, it would have been easy here, I think, for Philip to say, well, I guess I'm not needed anymore. I can just kick back now, right? My duties that I was given, that's over with, and be content and say, I'm done. But that's not the response that Philip has. He is still open and ready to be used by the Lord. And so we see the opposite from him. We see Philip now going, instead of quitting ministry, he goes to the next thing that God has for him. And I think the beauty here is also that God had more for him because he was being faithful. And I don't want us to miss that here. You know, he was faithful in, this, in what some would call the small things, right? I don't think there were small things because he was doing what God had called him to do. And he was helping meet the needs of those widows. And I'm sure the widows didn't think of it as a small thing, that he was a part of ministering to them. But from a worldly perspective, maybe the world, you would look at that and say, well, that was a small thing. But what the point is, is he was being faithful in it. And because he was being faithful there, God was now going to use him to do something else, to take the gospel to Samaria. Um, And I don't want us to miss the point here is is that as we get into look at the rest of chapter 8 is I believe Philip would have missed out on all that he's about to be a part of if he had not been faithful in the little things that the Lord had given him to do. And so um, I want us to just think on that ourselves. It's like, um, you know, this is why it's so important for us to be faithful and whatever it is God's called us to now, because who knows what else God may want to do with our lives if, we're gonna, if we'll just be willing to be faithful in the thing that he has before us at the moment. And so because Philip, though, was faithful, we're about to see now how God is going to use him. And we also see from these verses that the power of the Spirit of God was at work through not only the, the apostles, but through Philip. And we see it's described here in those verses I read in verses 5 through 8 that people were being healed. People were being delivered from demons. And, and God was doing a great work through a guy who was just a guy that was waiting on tables, a guy who was just being faithful in the small things, and now God is working through him in even greater ways. Now, in verses 9 through 13, we're introduced to an interesting character, uh, Simon the sorcerer. And let me just read those verses. But there was a certain man called Simon who, was pre- who previously practiced sorcery in the city and astonished the people of Samaria, claiming that he was someone great, to whom they all gave heed from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the great power of God. And they heeded him because he had astonished them with his sorceries for a long time. But when they believed Philip as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. Then Simon himself also believed. And when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and was amazed seeing the miracles and the signs which were done. And so Luke here introduces us to this man named Simon, the sorcerer. And this is a guy who practiced sorcery. And as we see here, I find interesting, he claimed himself 
to be someone great there at the end of verse 9. And so I think we see right off that Simon is a guy full of pride, a guy who it's about himself and he's proclaiming his greatness. In contrast, we see Philip, instead of proclaiming himself as, as Simon did, proclaiming Christ and lifting Christ up and glorifying him. And this pride in Simon's life is something that ends up being a major contributor, I think, to his downfall. And this chapter, will cover that here in just a minute. But I just want to note for us, as we consider this thing of being faithful, is that if we are going to be faithful to the Lord and what the Lord calls us to, we must guard against pride in our lives. A pride can be a big inhibitor to us being faithful to the Lord, to us carrying out what the Lord wants us to do. In verses 10 and 11, we were told that he all gave heed to Philip from the least to the greatest, attributing his power to God. Um, um, I'm, this is speaking, I'm sorry, of, of Simon. And his power was, of course, not from God, but from Satan. And, and as we see here, he had no real relationship with God. And, but God was working mightily in Samaria, and a great change was happening in the people, and many were believing and putting their faith in Christ. And Simon, seeing that and seeing really the, the display of the miracles and signs, this drew him because that's where, what he was interested in. And I, you know, Luke makes special mention there in verse 13 that when he continued with Philip, he was amazed seeing the miracles and signs which were done. And I think that's kind of a clue as to what Simon's focus was on. His focus was on the miraculous and the power, but it wasn't on really knowing the Lord. And, um, and so what I think it, it, we're being told in verse 13 about Simon is that he made a profession of faith. But as we get on in the story here, we're going to see that that profession was not genuine. It, it was an outward uh, statement, but it, it was not a genuine in, of the heart faith in Christ. Because um, his focus, again, was on the miracles and the signs. And I think in large part, probably because he had lost some influence, right? He had carried great sway over these people for a long time, and that was changing and so he was attracted to the, the power he was seeing because he wanted to have that power over the people. He wanted to still have the control that he had. And so in verses 14 through 17, we have the confirmation of the Lord's work in Samaria. And so we're told here that Peter and John come down from Jerusalem. And let me just read those verses. It says, Now when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them, who when they had come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For as yet he had fallen upon none of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. And so we see here news of what was happening there in Samaria had come back to the apostles of Jerusalem. And so they sent Peter and John to check things out, to go see what was going on. And when they arrived, they saw the, the work, the faith that was being displayed and the changed lives. And they laid hands and prayed for them to receive the power of the Holy Spirit upon them, just as it happened in Acts chapter 2 to the believers there in Jerusalem. When the Holy Spirit came upon them, they now pray for the same for them. And, and God answered that prayer. Um, so, you know, why did Philip... Why did, not, why did Philip not do this, right? And 
I think certainly God could have used Philip to do this, but I think there's two reasons in my mind that Peter, God sent Peter and John for this. First, it was a new move of God beyond the Jewish community, and it was important that the leaders of the church confirm the work that God was doing there in the lives of those who were not 100% Jewish people. God was wanting them to come witness and testify to that he was working beyond the Jewish community. Secondly, it was important for these leaders to see God doing this. God was bringing them along in their understanding of his desire for the gospel to go beyond them. And they have a real shock later on here in the book of Acts and the gospel goes to, to straight up Gentiles, right? I mean, it's something that just blows their mind that God really did mean what he said when he said the gospels did not go to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, but also to the ends of the world. And so the Lord sent these two apostles, I think, to go and to test, to be able to testify back to the church in Jerusalem that God was indeed at work among people who were not completely uh, of, of Jewish descent. And while there, this, again, they prayed for them, laid hands on them, and it was evident that the Spirit came upon them, you know, just as it was in Acts chapter 2. And we're told in verses 18 through 25, we get, come back to Simon, and Simon sees this power displayed uh, when they lay hands on them. And I want to pick up there in verse 19. So uh, Simon says, give me this power also, that anyone on whom I lay hands may receive the Holy Spirit. And this is where we get into where I think we can really see that Simon didn't truly have faith as we look at the rebuke that Peter gives. It says, but Peter said to him, your money perish with you because you thought that the gift of God could be purchased with money. You have neither part nor portion in the matter for your heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent therefore of your wickedness and pray God if perhaps the thought of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you're poisoned by bitterness and bound by iniquity. Then Simon answered and said, Pray to the Lord for me, that none of the things which you have spoken may come upon me. So when they had testified and preached the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans. And so upon seeing, again, the outpouring of the Spirit upon these believers, Simon offers money to be given the power. And again, I think that's why Luke alludes to the fact, again, in verse 13, of him being amazed by the miracles and signs. Simon was after that. He was after the power, the supernatural. And so now he's offering money to have that power. And Peter rightly rebukes Simon for the sin of believing that the gift of God could be purchased with money. And, you know, uh, one commentator uh, says here of what takes place with Simon. It is from this man, Simon, that we get the modern word simony, making a business out of that which is sacred. It includes the sale of indulgences and other spiritual benefits and all forms of commercialism and divine matters. And so I think an important lesson as we're going through this chapter for us is just to be reminded that the gift, God's gifts are not for sale. <laughs> the things of God are not something for people to make merchandise of and to try to make profit off of, and to sell and take advantage of people. Whether it's the gospel message or the gift of the Spirit, no one should seek to profit from those things because those are God's and they're God's works. And so we need to watch out for anyone seeking to profit off of God's free gifts. 
And sadly, down through the church history and even today, there are people who are seeking to profit off of the things of God, seeking to take advantage of people who are desperate for God's work in their lives and, and, and will do all kinds of things to try to take advantage of them. But these things are the Lord and of the Lord's that are not for the profit of any person. And this is why I think Peter gives such a strong rebuke to Simon. And the reason I don't think that, not only because of the rebuke, which I think to me makes it clear that Simon wasn't a believer, the things that Peter says to him, but the fact that Simon, we're not told here, repents. He's like, you pray for me. You know, you do that. Pray for me that these things don't happen to me. But he wasn't really concerned about genuine repentance. And so, again, we have this example of someone looking to take advantage of, of, of God's things for their own profit. And, you know, you go back in the, earlier in the book of Acts and, and in the church, one of the first internal attacks in the church was Ananias and Sapphira, right? Where they were trying to take advantage of 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 the things of the Lord by trying to show that they try to say they sold their land for more than they did so that they could gain prestige and privilege inside the church and get accolades for something that they didn't do. And, and here now someone from outside the church is trying again to, to take and you know, make merchandise of the things of God. And so um, any person seeking personal gain off of God's work is not being faithful to what God has called them to do. And so, you know, make sure we, of course, stay far from that ourselves and that we just allow God to use us. Be faithful, allow the Lord to use you, but never begin to try to take advantage of people and, and gain for yourself as God uses you because that is certainly not being faithful. And so, you know, there's this amazing revival happening here in Samaria. You know, many Many are coming to faith, and God is doing a great work. And then verse 26 comes. Verse 26, it says, Now the angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south along the road, which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert. <laughs> and so Philip is given, receives a strange command here in, in light of what was happening in Samaria. I mean, you see God's doing a great work and now he's being told not only to go, but to go to a place that's desert. And, you know, another way, uh, you know, that could be translated is just a deserted place. And deserted means like there's nobody there, right? And so why would the Lord be telling him to go there? But I love the example that Philip here, again, I think, again, it's an example to us of faithfulness and that he was ready and willing to go. It says there at the beginning of verse 27, so he arose and went, right? An angel of the Lord told him to go, and so he just he goes uh, to this deserted place. And, you know, the beauty here to me that is in this is just here's this guy. He's been faithful to minister to the widows, was faithful before that, and that's why he was chosen to minister to the widows, then God takes this faithful man who's serving and takes him to, to be a part of a great revival in Samaria. And now the Lord is like, okay, you're done there. It's time for you now to go to this deserted place and, and serve me there. And as a faithful servant of the Lord, he's willing and ready just to go, to go where the Lord sends him to go. 
But I think one thing to me to note before we move on from this verse is, is that he got a very clear message that this was the Lord telling him to do this, right? An angel of the Lord told him to go. And so I bring that up because I think sometimes it's way too easy for us to, to, to get the idea that the Lord doesn't want me to do this anymore. God's given you a responsibility and a task to do, and, and we can get the idea, well, I think I'm done with that now. I don't think the Lord wants me to do it. And so we need to make sure that before we move on to something else, that we have, are certain that the Lord has told us to move on and, and that the Lord has told us to lay that down and go on to this other thing. And I think, obviously, Philip has that here. He has this clear message from the Lord. And it goes on to say there in verse 27, And behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge over all her treasury and had come to Jerusalem to worship, was returning and sitting in his chariot. He was reading the Isaiah the prophet. Then the spirit said to Philip, go near and overtake this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. The place in which in the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In his, humil- in his humiliation, his justice was taken away. And who will declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. So the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask of you, whom does this prophet say this is, of himself or of some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning of this scripture, preached Jesus to him. And so in verses 29 through 35, I think we see three things working together um, to bring the gospel um, to, this Ethiop- to this Ethiopian eunuch. We see the Spirit of God, right? The Spirit of God had led uh, Philip to, to where he was and directed him to go near this chariot that, that was out in this deserted place where nobody else was. This caravan comes by and this chariot is there. And the Spirit of God leads him to go and talk to this man. We see also that the word of God was at work here, right? The guy was reading the word of God. And then we see the servant of God used by God. And all three were involved in this man's conversion that takes place. Um, And, you know, I, I think it would be great if we could all have this easy of an opportunity, right? You know, where you are just led up to somebody, you hear them reading a passage of scripture and you're just able to ask them, do you understand what you're reading? And then from there, just be able to share and declare Christ to them as Philip had the opportunity. And, but that's what Philip was given the opportunity to do. And um, it's funny, Jason mentioned this back in the room, and I had, it stood out to me. Uh, I was reading through the passage again, but in verse 35, just it says, then Philip opened his mouth, right? He opened his mouth and began to preach to him about Jesus from that scripture. And so Philip had to open his mouth, but it wasn't just him. It was the Spirit of God again at work, and it was the Word of God being used to declare the truth to this man. And one quick note I want to make here is if you consider this man that the gospel comes to, there's a stark contrast between him and Simon. Here was a man who was of great authority, and he didn't make himself of great authority. This is who he was. 
And yet he had the humility to, under, to acknowledge that he needed to know who the Lord was and that he needed salvation. And as a result, the, pre, the gospel is preached to him and he comes to faith. And so, again, we see just Philip just being faithful um, to go and to do what the Lord was leading him to do, whether it be to hundreds of people or whether it be to the one. And, you know, this section, too, is just a good reminder of how God does care about the one, this Ethiopian. I mean, again, you know, the Lord takes Philip from ministry to hundreds to go meet this one guy. And it reminds me of Jesus, who it's said in the Gospels and John, when he went to uh, the, the woman in Samaria, that he needed to go through Samaria. And so it was for that one woman that he needed to go through there. And here in this case, he was sent to the desert for this one man. They needed to hear the gospel. And so the Lord cares about the one, and he wants to use us to be a part of reaching that one person. And, and so we need to be sensitive to the Spirit of God in our lives and to those promptings that the Lord gives us, just as Philip was here. And so we see in verses 36 through 38 um, that he does indeed come to faith. It says, Now as they went down the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? Then Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered us, said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So he commanded the chariot to stand still, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. And so <clears throat> the baptism was, of course, a picture of what had just happened in his life. He had put faith in Christ. He says, I believe with all my heart in, that Jesus is, is that in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And so therefore, Philip was willing to baptize him as an outward sign of what had already happened in his life. And just a side note for you guys, um, you know, we have the baptism coming up here next month um, in January, and the opportunity is there now to register for that. If you've not been baptized, I want to encourage you to make that public profession of faith. If you've put your faith in Christ, come and be baptized and let others know of what the Lord has done in your life. Allow your life to be a witness through that step of obedience of being baptized. And... And so this one man comes to faith and almost instant, and instantly Philip is taken away there. It says in verse 39, when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord caught Philip away so the eunuch saw him no more and he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip was found at, at Azotus and passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. And so <clears throat> we see here again, Philip continuing just to be faithful you know, he's carried by the Spirit, ends up in another part of the country and begins to travel then to Caesarea. And as he does, he continues to preach the gospel. It's like, all right, the Lord's done with me there. I'm going to just continue to do, uh, be faithful to the Lord by preaching the gospel on the way as I go to Caesarea. And um, it's just, again, it's this awesome example of, of just being faithful. Wherever he was found, wherever the Lord put him, he remained faithful to what the Lord had called him to do and ministering to others. Um, and as the last time that Philip is mentioned is in Acts chapter 21, uh, verses 8 and 9. And I just want to read those verses. That's the last time he's mentioned here in the book, book of Acts. And this is 
By the time you get to chapter 21, this is some 20 years later uh, in, in history. And it says, On the next day, as we who were Paul's companions departed and came to Caesarea and entered the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. Now this man had four virgin daughters who, prof- who prophesied. Um, so 20 years later, two decades have passed, and we're, we're shown a glimpse into Philip's life here that Philip is continuing to be faithful to the Lord. In fact, it, he's noted as now Philip the evangelist, right? He's no longer Philip the deacon. He's Philip the evangelist, and he's remained faithful to serve the Lord. And I think we see that in two ways here. One, he's opening his house and showing hospitality to the traveling companions of Paul. He's taking care of them. And secondly, we see that he's raised his daughters to know the Lord and to walk in the spiritual gifting that God had given to them, to be prophetesses. They had a gift of prophecy, and they were being used in the church and functioning in that gifting. And so I think that's, again, an example of just the faithfulness of Philip, right? The faithfulness after all these years to continue doing what the Lord had placed before him to do. And so we've kind of seen as we've gone through this here tonight briefly is that, you know, he was chosen to be a deacon again because he was already being faithful. He was faithful to do that, to care for those widows. When that ministry ended, he was faithful to be ready and to go and to preach in Samaria. And then he was faithful to go from a great revival to where the Spirit sent him and preach the message to this one Ethiopian And all these years later, in fact, two decades later, we still find him being faithful to the Lord. And so as we conclude tonight, you know, we're on the edge of a new year, right? In just a very short time, a new year is going to be upon us. And so I think it's a good time for us just to consider where we are in being faithful to the Lord. Our goal should be to finish well, right? Our goal should be to, to... Go across the finish line that God has for us well. And the only way to do that, the only way to hear the Lord say, well done, good and faithful servant, is for us to be faithful in what the Lord has placed before us. So number one here as we close, be faithful in small things. The ministry God has called you to do may seem to you or others as a small or insignificant, right? But we need to cast those thoughts aside And we need to be faithful to what God has called us to do. Be faithful. You know, we have an example in the Old Testament in 2 Samuel chapter 23, verses 11 and 12, or briefly given mention of a guy named Shema, who was one of David's mighty men. And we're told there that the Philistines were attacking and and others fled, but he stood and defended in the middle of, of a field of lentils. He stood and fought and defended the land from the attacking Philistines. And so, you know, for a a hill of beans, (laughs) he was willing to stand there and to fight and to be faithful to the Lord and defend what was God's. That was God's land. And they as a nation were supposed to protect it. And so he faithfully stood there and did that while others fled. And so that's an example of just being faithful in small things. And everybody else was like, what? We're not, I'm going to stay here. It's just a field of beans. Let them have it. It's not worth fighting for. But he knew, I believe, that no, this is God's field of beans. And God wants me to stand and defend it and be faithful here. 
And so what you have been given to do may seem, again, to you to be something small. And you can, we can easily fall into the attitude, well, it doesn't matter whether I keep doing this. It's not a big deal. No one's even going to notice if I stop. Well, others may not notice, but God's going to notice if you stop. And God, so, and God wants us just to be faithful. Be faithful in that thing that he's placed before you to do in the small things. Number two, I think we see here in this passage a good reminder to walk humbly in what God has given us to do. Remember that it's God who not only gives you the ministry to, that he's given you, but it's God who gives you the ability to do it. And so therefore, <clears throat> we need to walk humbly. If we're going to be faithful, we have to walk humbly before the Lord. And so may we press on to do that. May we walk humbly, recognizing, wow, this is something the Lord has given me to do. I get to do this, and he's given me what I need to do it. And let me just give God the glory through what I do. May God get the glory. And then number three, I think we see here in his example of faithfulness, somebody who was willing to do whatever the Lord wanted him to do, whatever it was. Philip, again, you know, was willing to do all these variety of things because he was faithful to the Lord. And this is the attitude the Lord wants us to have. You know, he wants us to be willing to do whatever he calls us to do. And if, if it's something, whether it's something that no one ever sees or whether it's something that a lot of people see, we need to be willing to do it. We need to be willing to let the Lord use our lives for his glory and so I just want to encourage you as we wrap up here, as this as you head into this new year, take the time to examine your life. I'm not the one, and neither is any other person the one to answer whether you're being faithful. But you talk to the Lord and let the Lord show you, are you being faithful in what he's called you to do? And, and if he tells you no, then my encouragement to you is to repent and to ask the Lord to help you return to being faithful. Because, you know, the thing is, is that we don't know that this coming year could be the year that we go to see Jesus for some of us. The Lord could come back for his church this year, or some of us could go to be with the Lord. We don't know what's ahead. And so if we want to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant, we got to be faithful now. We can't wait for another day to do it. We need to do it now. And so just let the Lord speak to you. And, and if he shows you again that you're not being faithful, again, repent and get back to doing what God's called you to do. And if you've laid down the plow that God gave you to plow with, pick it back up again and let the Lord use you. And the good news is, is that the Lord is not done with you. If you've stopped, he's not done with you. He's not going to say, don't come back and, and pick, up, pick it up and go again. He wants you to come back and pick it up and go again. And if you have been faithful, if you look back at this year and you, the Lord shows you that you've been faithful, then ask the Lord to continue to strengthen you in this next year to continue to be faithful. And the fact is, is we all need God's grace in our lives. His grace to return to being faithful or to continue being faithful. We need the grace of God. Romans 12, 11, and the worship team can come on up. We're going to close with a song. But Romans 12, 11 says, gives this exhortation, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. The word lagging means possessing a state involving shrinking back from something, 
holding back, hesitation, reluctance, idle, lazy. And so the exhortation is there is don't shrink back, press forward. And that's the only way in which we can be faithful to the Lord as we press forward, is that we move on in what the Lord has called us to, to do. And, and so may we do that. And I want to close with this last verse, 1 Corinthians 15, 58. There Paul says, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that, the Lord, that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. And so no matter what it is God's called you to do, it's not a waste of time to, be, to keep doing it. It's not in vain. Be faithful. Be faithful to what God has placed before you. And let me close in prayer. Father, I just thank you for the example before us tonight of, of Philip, Lord. I thank you that, God, he was a guy just willing to be faithful to whatever you put in front of him to do. And, Lord, I know that was your work in his life, and it was his obedience to what you were doing. And I just pray that for each of us tonight, as we look into this new year, that Lord, you would just show us, God, if we are not being faithful, God, then I pray that we would turn quickly and again, be faithful to what you've given us to do. And, and Lord, if we have been being faithful, Lord, strengthen us to keep being faithful. God, we don't want to waver. We don't want to stray, Lord. And Lord, I just want to ask, Lord, for everyone here tonight and for myself, Lord, is more grace, God. We need your grace being poured out upon our lives, Lord. And, um, and so, Lord, use us, Lord, for your glory. Lord, help each of us when we cross the finish line to hear you say, well done, good and faithful servant. And, Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stay.